Thank you, Pastor Nick. Good morning. I hope that you all had a wonderful week and have experienced God's blessings. There was a man who was new in town. In fact, he was a minister. And so he was walking up and down the street looking for a specific destination. When a young boy standing outside a grocery store as he was waiting for his mother asked him, are you okay, sir? He said, young man, do you know where the post office is? So the young man pointed him in the right direction and, and told him where to go. So the minister said, thank you very much. I'm new in town, and so I didn't know where the post office was. He says, now if you come to the church down the street on Sunday, I will tell you how to get to heaven. The young man answered, sir, that's okay. You don't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> Pastor Nick says that was from Billy Graham, so <laughs> thank you. You know, recently, God has been laying a conviction on my heart, and I wasn't sure whether to share this or not, because it's not a conviction that you may have, but I thought, you know, it's something that has really convicted me, and so I want to share it with you, and, and if it resonates with you, great. If not, then that's fine, too. But the conviction that God has been laying in my heart is the fact that, you know, in our world, it's amazing, the fact that technology has advanced so much which is great. And even now, there's cell phones that are called smartphones that replace so many things. They replace your, your day planner, your alarm clock, your, your calculator. Um, they replace so many things, your camera even. And, and so one of the things that, that God has been challenging me is to not let it replace my Bible. <laughs> And so, you know, it's great that there are apps that, you know, such as the Bible apps on the phones now, and I'm not saying don't use them, use them. But one thing that God has been challenging me is to not forget the actual Bible itself and how important that is. And, and as I was thinking about it, you know, these different reasons came to mind. The first one is the fact that, you know, by having it, we use it right? When you come to church, I can guarantee that we will use it. So bring it with you to church. I can also, um, I also realize the fact that, you know, by having it and carrying it around with me, it's a silent witness to other people that they see the word of God being carried around and, and they see, you know, someone who has a Bible with them. The other thing is, I feel like many people, especially younger people in this generation, don't know the books of the Bible. And so by actually carrying a Bible with you, it forces you to learn where those books are, to know where those books are, to find them, and not just type them in. And also for us to continue to, to use it as a witness and to continue to share God's word and, and highlight and write and what God has been teaching us to do that. And so that's just what God's been laying on my heart. And you know, I feel like the Bible's not accepted in so many places publicly you know, in the workplace, in the school, but let's keep it in the church because that's where it belongs. And so let's continue to use our Bibles. And so with that being said, would you turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. 
And the title of this is Isaiah's Commission, the title of this uh, passage of scripture here. Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll read verses 1 to 8. And if you are able to and you feel comfortable standing, then please stand with me as we read the word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. Two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Which he t with, with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sins atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the truth and the power that is in your word. And indeed, Lord, we pray that this morning you would open up our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us. May you move and may you have your way. And may you help us as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Feel free to be seated. In this passage of scripture, it's Isaiah's commission. And in this passage, we see Isaiah describing the vision that God has given him. The vision describing the glory of God. The vision describing the seraphs that are flying around. The vision of what is happening. And it's amazing when you think of the vision that God has given him. The fact that, that he was given this vision in order to understand the holiness and the glory of God. To be able to catch a vision of this is just absolutely amazing. In the first four verses, verses, he describes what it is exactly that he saw. The fact that he saw God on his throne, high and exalted. The fact that he saw that his robe filled, the train of his robe filled the temple. That God is so big and so great. And he saw these heavenly beings referred to as seraphs, seraphim. And he sees them, and their purpose was to praise God, to fly around. Now, just a side note and a side lesson for you on the seraphim. Isaiah is the only passage, in fact, Isaiah chapter 6 is the only passage that talks about and names the seraphim specifically. That's the only place in the Bible that you will find them. And it gives us a description of them. The fact that they have six wings, two that they cover their face, two that cover their feet, and two that they use to fly. And it's amazing when we think of how amazing these heavenly beings are to fly around and their sole purpose, 
Their sole purpose is to praise and exalt God, to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That is their purpose. They are the highest ranking heavenly beings and they have direct access to God. But even in that, we see that two of their wings they used to cover their faces because even in their heavenly state, they are still not able to gaze upon the fullness and the brilliance of the glory of God. And it's in a vision that God revealed this to Isaiah, that Isaiah was able to see the glory of God revealed to him. Because if he was actually in the flesh, in the flesh and in his sinful state, he wouldn't be able to handle seeing the full brilliance of God in that state. And so we see this vision that God has given Isaiah describing the God in his holiness and in his glory and seeing these heavenly beings praising God. Can you imagine seeing God in all his glory? Can you imagine seeing the fullness of the glory of God? You see, in, in this state, we wouldn't be able to handle that, to see the fullness and the glory of God. God, from time to time, gives us glimpses of his glory. He gives us glimpses of who he is. But to see him in his fullness, I can't wait until one day when we all get to heaven and we are rejoicing night and day where time will be no more, where we are gathered around the throne of God and praising him as the seraphs are, praising him and worshiping him and exalting him. You see, God revealed this to Isaiah, revealed this vision to him. And it causes me to think that when we experience the glory and the presence of God, when we experience that, it should cause us and move us to change. When we experience the glory and the presence of God, it should move us to change. Isaiah saw this. He saw this in the vision that God gave him. And then in verses 5 to 7, he says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then it goes on to talk about one of the seraphim flew to him with a live coal in his hand. And with it, he touched his lips. And he said, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You see, after seeing the glory and the presence of God, it caused Isaiah to see his sinfulness. It caused him to realize that he is a sinful person in comparison to a holy and righteous God. And when we truly experience the glory and the presence of God, it can't help but move us to change. It can't help but move us to change because it reveals in ourselves the things that aren't right. It reveals the things that need to be done away with. It reveals the things that God needs to help us to deal with. And so Isaiah sees that he is unclean. But the beautiful thing is that the seraphim flew to him touched his lips and said, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. In the same way, God says, I see that you are unclean. I see that you are not even worthy to be in my presence, yet I have sent my son to take away your guilt, to take away your shame, and to atone for your sin. That is what 
God has done. That is the kind of God that we serve, that he sees that he is holy and that we are not. He sees that we are not worthy to be in his presence, but because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his everlasting, unending, unconditional, unchanging love for us, he has provided a way. And so when we truly experience the presence of God, then we, are, we can't help but move to change. You see, when Moses encountered God at the burning bush, it changed the whole course of his life. That one encounter with God changed everything. You see, when Saul encountered God on the road to Damascus, it changed his entire life. It changed the course of everything, and it caused him to change who he was, the persecutor of Christians to the one who went to proclaim that there is one true living God. You see, when we have an encounter with God, when we truly encounter him and spend time in his presence and understand who he is, it causes us and it moves us to change. Are there certain things that maybe you need to change? Are there certain things that I need to change? Because we cannot continue to be in the presence of God and remain the same. As the song says, in the presence of Jehovah, God Almighty, Prince of Peace, troubles vanish, hearts are mended in the presence of the King. In the presence of God, things happen. In the presence of God, things change. In the presence of God, we are made new. We are restored. We are becoming new creations in the presence of God. When Jesus encountered people in the Gospels and in his ministry on earth, he healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He multiplied food. He, he did so many things. He drove out demons. He raised people from the dead. In the presence of God, things happen. And when we experience the presence and the power of God, things happen. And the wonderful thing is that God does not expect us to change on our own. We're constantly changing. We're constantly improving. We're constantly evolving. And God is saying, I want to help you to become better. I want to help you to change your ways. I want to empower you. And I want to strengthen you. And he is able to help us. You see, on our own, we can't. We just don't have the power to do so. But God, by his spirit, has helped us and will continue to help us. In the presence of God, and in when we experience the glory and the presence of God, it ca should cause us to move and to change. Amen? Yes. Isaiah saw that compared to God, he was unclean, and that indeed, he needed to be cleansed. And so we should also examine our life in comparison to a holy God and see the things that we need to, to see and to change. We also need to realize that when we experience the glory and the presence of God, it should move us not only to change, but to go. It should move us to go. In verse 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of God the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah saw 
the holiness of God. Isaiah saw his glory and his power being revealed. And God was asking, who should I send? Who will go? And he says, here I am. Send me. I will go. I will go. And so we ask the next question of, go where? To do what? What is it that God wanted him to, to go and to do? And so we see that God was looking for someone to go and to share the commission. This was Isaiah's commission. And God has also given us a commission as well. In fact, it is the great commission. And we find it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, he tells us, go. <laughs> Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. That means that you're not on your own, that you're not doing it by yourself, but he is with us to the very end of the age. That is what God was looking for, for someone to go and to tell his people, to go and to share who he is. God gave Isaiah that vision so that Isaiah would go and share what he saw, would go and tell others about him. In the same way, God commissions us to go into the world, to share who he is, to tell others about him. Go and share his word. Go and share your testimony. Go. He asks, who shall I send? Who will go? And will our answer be, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Will that be your answer? Send me, Lord. Send me. You see, God is a sending God. He is ascending God. In the Gospels, we read about how God sent his son Jesus to us. And then we see in Acts the fact that Jesus promised that the Comforter would come and the Holy Spirit came upon his people. God sent Jesus, God sent the Holy Spirit to come. He is ascending God and in the same way he sends us out. He sends us out. And we talk about missions. And we just talked about the mission's goal of $60,000. And we talked about the fact that we've almost reached that goal. And it is so important that we understand that we're not just giving it for the purpose of giving it, but why we, why we believe in missions so much. The fact that missionaries all over the world are dependent upon these funds to continue to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why we give. That is why we are a church who believes in missions. We are a church who believes in spreading the gospel, in telling others about Jesus, and helping them to come to a relationship with him. This is the mission of the church, to go and to share the good news. Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. As God sent Jesus into the world, Jesus has told us to go into the world. When was the last time that you shared about Jesus with someone? When was the last time that you went out of your way to, to have a conversation and, and to bring up Jesus with a stranger 
or with a family member or with a coworker? When was the last time? If I was to ask you your purpose, that is the reason that you exist, the reason that you're here, I'm sure that many people would have different answers and it would vary from person to person. But I want to challenge you to consider a common purpose that we as Christians have, and that purpose is to go. That purpose is to go and to tell the world about Christ. That purpose that we have is to go and to tell the world, to share the message of God. And you need to understand the urgency of this message, the urgency to go. And you may say, tell them what? Tell them about Jesus. Tell them everything. Tell them that there is a hell that is still hot. Tell them that there is a heaven that is still real. Tell them that sin is still wrong, that the Bible is the word of God, and that Jesus is the only way. Go and tell them. We live in a world where anything goes, where what was once frowned upon is now celebrated, and the world needs to know the truth. And we have the truth. We have the truth, the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. And we have the word in our hands, at our availability, at our leisure. And we need to use it. We need to know it so that we can share it. We need to understand it so that we can tell others about it. We need to study it so that when others ask questions, we can answer them. We need to know the word because the word is what consumes us. The word is what gives us purpose and meaning in our life. The word is what directs our paths and keeps us. The word is from God and we need to know it. Bible talks about how can a young man keep his way pure. I, I would go to, as far as say anyone keep their way pure. Hiding the word in your heart so that you will not sin against God. When we know the word of God, then we can use it to our defense. When the devil attacks us, when he throws things our way, when he causes confusion, then we will know the word of God. I don't know how many of you have been following this whole um, bathroom issue and, and, and this different gender and whatnot, and, and I'm so tired of hearing it. You know why? Because I think that it should be so straightforward that in the beginning God created man and he created woman. And it should be so straightforward. And the reason that so many people have these different opinions is because the devil has come and he has caused confusion. And confusion is not from God, it's not of God. But when we know the word of God, then we will have a sound mind. Then when others bring up these nonsense and these different things, we will know how to respond and we will know what to believe and why we believe it because we know the word of God. Amen? Amen. We need to go and to tell the world. Do you find it much easier to strike up a conversation with a stranger about the weather, about politics, Maybe even about, um, you know, what's going on in the world with news or sports. But oftentimes it's very difficult to strike up a conversation about God. <laughs> Do you find that? It is, because it can become a little uncomfortable. It can become a little intense. You know, we often don't want to offend people or, or we don't want to uh, be asked a question we don't know how to answer. But, you know, at the end of the day, 
We shouldn't be afraid of those things because God wants us to share the word. He wants us to go and to share, to tell others about Jesus. And when we talk about missions, there's a tendency for people to often feel, you know, if, if I want to do missions, I need to go to Africa, or I need to go to India, or I need to go to China, or do all of these things. And that's great. That's great to go to those places, to experience that, to, to get to share the gospel with those people. But what about your neighbor, the person who lives right next door to you, who, who've, ne who've never been invited to church or don't know much about God or, or understand that or may even be an atheist? What about the person who you always see at the gym when you go to the gym? What about that parent whose child is also on the same sports team as your child? What about the coworker that sits next to you at lunchtime? Or the person that rides the bus or the train to work that you always see? What about those people who live right where you are, who you share life with, who you see on a day-to-day -day basis? Are we telling them about Jesus? Because they need to know. And the truth is that if we don't tell them about Jesus, who else will? If we don't go and if we don't make the effort, then who else will? Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It starts by being sent. And God is saying in his great commission to us, go. Go and share my word. Go and give hope. You know, there are so many people who have no hope. And that's why when the, the going gets tough and it, times get rough, they, they turn to things like drugs and alcohol and suicide and all of these different things because they have no hope. But we who understand a hope understand that it goes far beyond all of these earthly things. Our hope, his name is Jesus. That is our hope. The good news is often referenced with a reference to feet as you see in this passage of scripture. In Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7, it says how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Also you will see in Ephesians chapter 6 that talks about putting on the full armor of God. Verse 15 says with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Why? Because feet imply that you are going somewhere, that you are moving out, that you're not just staying still, but that you are going and you are doing something. And the beautiful thing is that when God tells us to go, he doesn't send us unequipped, he doesn't send us out alone, but he says, I am with you always through the presence and the power of my Holy Spirit. Just go. I want to challenge you to go, to go into all the world, to go in your workplace, to go in your school, to go in your sports team, to go in your gym, to go wherever it is that you spend your time and to talk about Jesus. 
It is so important that people know. You know, I wrote my dissertation recently and the topic that I focused on was the biblical teaching, so the biblical standpoint on the destiny of unbelievers after death. Basically where people who don't believe in Jesus will end up. And as I was studying this, it's amazing to see how many different perspectives and understandings people have. I looked at different world religions. I looked at even within Christianity, what the different understandings are of what people believe happens after death. And it blows my mind to think that people are so confused, that people think that they will be reincarnated, that people People think that this, this, there's no hell, that people think all of these different things. But again, what does the word of God say? People need to understand, not, not because there is a hell, but to understand more importantly that there is a God who loves them, that there is a God who died for them, that there is hope after death, that there is forgiveness of sins and eternal life. People need to know that. It is an urgent message. Life is so short. Yesterday, I held the funeral here of a, a dear lady who passed away, and she had just recently retired, and she passed away on her vacation in Jamaica. You know, death is no respecter of persons. There's no warning. We don't know when it comes. We can be at work. We can be on vacation. We can be anywhere, and it comes. Are we ready? Are our loved ones ready? Are we preparing them for eternity? That's our job as Christians, to go into the world and to share the good news. I want to share a brief story with you. When my brothers and I were children, our parents would often take us to Chuck E. Cheese. You know Chuck E. Cheese, right? And so apparently that was the place to be on a Saturday night as a kid. That, that's where it was at. And so we would often go and, you know, in order to play the games, you would need tokens. And so my parents would purchase tokens, but with a, a stern warning, let us know that when they're done, they're done. <laughs> We're not buying you anymore. So we would always wisely choose how we were going to spend the tokens that we were given. And I remember one time, I, I, after playing a certain game, I looked down and, and I saw at the bottom of the machine that it was open. <laughs> so I bent down to carefully inspect what was happening, and to my surprise, hundreds of tokens were exposed in that box. The, the machine, the bottom of it, the box where it collects, was open, so whoever was emptying it the last time didn't close it. So hundreds of tokens were exposed. Now I, I stayed bent down contemplating what I should do. You know, the, the main part of me wanted to fill my pockets as much as could hold. The other part of me knew that the right thing to do, and, and also because I, I thought, you know, if I had taken any, I'd probably end up in jail, I should, I should call one of the workers over. So I decided that's what I was going to do. So reluctantly, I called one of the workers over, showed them what I had found, and, and felt good, you know? I felt good that I did the right thing. However, I was sad that I didn't help myself to any. Because <laughs> I felt I deserved some. But anyway, so I went on my way. My tokens were done, went into the play area, 
going through the tunnels, and all of a sudden, I see the worker come up to me, who I had shown, with the manager. And I thought, oh boy, I'm gonna go to jail for sure. <laughs> you know, when you're eight years old, that's what you think. And so, the manager comes up and she basically said, I wanna commend you for doing the right thing, and to award you, I wanna give you 100 tokens. 100 tokens. Oh man, at that moment, I could tell you, I know what it feels like to win the lottery. <laughs> at that moment, I knew exactly what it felt like, but of course, I had to share some with my brothers. You know, I had to. Um, by force, by my parents, I had to. But I still had a lot left. And as a child, you just don't know what to do with yourself, right? I was playing every game. I was going around and giving people tokens and offering to pay for their games. I just, I, 100 tokens was just too much for me to use by myself. I was overwhelmed that I was given that. And I was overwhelmed by the amount that I was given that I just couldn't use it all myself. That I had to go and I had to share it. I had to give it away. I had to help others understand what it felt like to receive all of this because I wasn't expecting to receive it. Why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because we can't give away what we don't have. We can't give away what we first have not experienced. When we experience and when we receive the overwhelming love of God, when we experience that overwhelming glory and presence of God, we can't help but keep it to ourselves. We can't help but share and to go and to tell others and help them to understand and to see and to experience because we know how it feels. And I wanna encourage you to go and to give that away as well. But it starts with experiencing it for yourself. And so some of you today need to take that first step and you need to ask the Lord to come and to fill you, to come and to reveal his power and his glory and his presence in your life so that you can start that relationship with him. Some of you perhaps have that relationship with God and you need to say, Lord, as Isaiah cried out, in your presence I understand that I am unclean and there are so many things that I need you to come and to cleanse me of and to help me with as he cried out, and we see that he was forgiven. His guilt was taken away and his, his sin atoned for. And maybe today you need to say, God, I need you to once again forgive me and atone and help me. And maybe you're at the point where God is saying, will you go? And you need to come and you need to say, I will go but I need you to come with me and I need you to help me. I need you to give me the words to say. I need you to open up the doors of opportunity for me. I need you to help me. And the beautiful thing is, he will, he will. So my challenge to you, if you don't remember anything else, is to go. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the power. I thank you for your presence. And I thank you, Lord, that you reveal your glory to us in different ways at different stages. And I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters today that, Lord, you would help each one of us wherever we are in our spiritual journey, whatever it is that we're going through, that you would fill us up and that you would send us out, that you would help us to be mission-minded. And, Lord, we understand that if the church 
church stops being missionaries, then we stop being the church. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us and empower us and cause us to move and to not be complacent, but, God, to go and to spread your word. Lord, we thank you for your overwhelming love, for your power, and for your presence. And so, Lord, may you help us as we share that with others as well. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we pray, Lord, for your blessings upon each one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.